AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to episode 265. Here we go. We'll talk about Eddie Van Halen with Steve Gorman. Listen, I needed to have a little Eddie Van Halen lesson. I mean, I know some Van Halen songs. Here are the top five streaming Van Halen songs. And this is because Eddie Van Halen died this last week. And so uh, Steve Gorman's also on the Black Crows. Here you go. Number five, Ain't Talking About Love. All right. Number four, Hot for Teacher. You know that one? I do know that one. Yeah, I know that one too. Number three, Running with the Devil. Number two, Panama. You know this one? I do know. Panama. It's stuck in your head. And then obviously the number one is massive. I think everybody knows this. Jump. Right? Yep. Everybody knows that one. But Van Halen, massive, but I just missed them in my life. So this was an interesting interview coming up. The thing about this, too, Jump was Van Halen's one and only number one. As big, as massive as they are, it was just harder to get a number one back then, just in general. Their most famous song, Jump, which is that number one streamer, took only one day to finish. It went to the top of the Billboard Hot 100 and got him a Grammy nomination. Uh, Eddie played the guitar solo on Michael Jackson's Beat It. So if you listen to that song, that's Eddie Van Halen shredding on it. Eddie also began on the drums. He couldn't read sheet music, which is pretty crazy. It's the Beat It right here. And then he also had serious stage fright, which is crazy because the guy played arenas, massive places. It's always crazy when you hear it. Like the... The White Stripes, she apparently had so much stage fright that they couldn't even play at times. And isn't that crazy to think about? It was nuts. So, and also, Alex and Eddie were the only two consistent members. David Lee Roth was a singer. Michael Anthony uh, was in and out. Sammy Hagar, Gary Sharon. So, that's crazy. And they switched lead singers, which 
and were as successful with a different lead singer, which is nuts. So we'll talk about that with Steve Gorman on the way. My new music top five this week. Here we go. Travis has a new album coming out. I love Travis, the band. And so I haven't heard it yet. I'm going to listen to it today, but you know, some of this is stuff I haven't been able to spend time with, but stuff that I look forward to as well. But Travis has a new song out. Uh, but Travis has a new but Travis has a new record out. You may know Travis for uh, Why Does It Always Rain On Me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? Do you know that song? I don't know it. Do I've, you know, it. I've only heard them because you talk about them. Do you know Sing? Sing, sing, for no. the love you bring. They even had that song in The Office, unlike the first season when Jim puts his earphone into Pam's ear. She's like, what are you listening to? <laughs> and it's Travis Sing. Anyway, Travis has a new album out today. Um, Mike, do you just play one of their songs for me? Yeah, this one's called Valentine. Okay. Travis Denning has a new song out called Good Years. That's at number four. ACDC announced they're releasing a new album called Power Up. It's their first album in six years. They put out a new song called Shot in the Dark. Hey, speaking of bands who change lead singers, mm-hmm. and think about that. But they went from Bon Scott, who died in the 70s. He choked on his own vomit because, you know, he was a big drinker, if I'm right about this. And then they switched to Brian Johnson, who is the singer now. There's only been a few of those bands to do that. ACDC did it. I'm not looking at notes here. So um, ACDC did it. Obviously, Van Halen did it. And Genesis did it. Oh, yeah. It was Peter Gabriel. And then they went on a search, and they ended up hiring their drummer to do it to move forward, which is Phil Collins, <laughs> which is insane. That's a whole other topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassie Ashton has a new song out called uh, Black Motorcycle. Here's a clip of that. And she will be on later to talk about that song. And then... Super pumped. Brothers Osborne have a new album out called Skeletons. I love these guys. Here's a new song called Lighten Up. About the time to lighten up. To kick your foot on the right foot, southpaw, pass it around. Go keep the windows up, cause we'll be lighting More new albums. Blue Oyster Cult, Jackson Brown, Dire Straits, The Doors. Dang, a lot of old bands right there in a row. It's like classic rock radio new album week. Five Finger Death Punch, Punch uh, Lincoln Park's Hybrid Theory, 20th Anniversary, Sade has got a whole box set coming out. Do you know Sade? Uh, slow song? Yeah. yeah. It's my bubble bath song. Uh, in the music news, before we get into some interviews, Johnny Nash, who had I Can See Clearly Now, died at 80 years old. Bright, 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 sunshiny day. This is a jam. People still know that song. Maybe because of commercials or movies. But I bet that song made him a bunch of money. Machine Gun Kelly just earned his first number one album, and it was his rock album, right? Yep. Did you like this? I like it a lot. It's like right up my alley. It's pop punk, huh? Yeah. Did he do some stuff with Blink-182 for this? Uh, Travis Barker produced the whole thing, and he plays drums on it. Did Lil Wayne try to do a punk thing, like a rock punk thing too it was just more uh just straight up rock but wasn't very good it wasn't good he tries to play guitar he can't play guitar can machine gun kelly yeah he plays the guitar on it no i mean can he i know he does I mean, basic stuff but nothing crazy coachella might already be postponed again for april 2021 to next october they just keep 
kicking yeah. the can, which they should. So if you're going to go to Coachella. And then Dolly Parton's Playboy cover for 75th birthday. Is, is this happening yet? Not yet. Okay, I knew they were talking about it. I didn't know if they had confirmed it. But And also, she wouldn't have to be naked on it. Nah. They wouldn't want her naked. I don't think she was naked on the original. I don't even think they... I don't know. Maybe? What? They still do naked stuff? I, I have no idea. I don't even look at naked stuff on the internet because I'm afraid my computer's going to get a virus. Because like when Marin did it, she wasn't really naked. Is it just kind of naked? Kind of naked? Imagination naked where Maybe. you use your imagination because they're almost naked? <laughs> I guess so. I think it just... I don't know. All right, there you go. That's... The releases I'm looking forward to and the new music that is out. There you go. That's the releases I'm looking forward to and some new music news from this week. All right. Thank you, guys. Let's get going. Joining me now is Steve Gorman, who was the drummer in the Black Crows, who now plays with Trigger Hippie. And before we talk about some of the Black Crow stuff in your book, I, I saw your tweet, Steve, and it was talking about Eddie Van Halen, which is kind of why I have you here. And you say... There will be many, many words written and spoken about Eddie Van Halen over the next few days, weeks, months, and years. Those millions of words will never come close to expressing what he meant to rock music, what he meant to guitarists, and what he meant to the guitar itself. That's a pretty powerful statement, Mr. Gorman. What did Eddie in your mind mean to rock music? Well, I think it's, it's pretty simple. You can say that he and Jimi Hendrix are the two guys that truly and, and only are the two guys that move the needle You know, for the guitar itself. I mean, Hendrix came out of a blues-based uh, scene and took the playing and the tones he could get to a new place. But Eddie Van Halen really almost came in from another country, another planet, I should say. Another, He's like an alien life form. I mean, he was a virtuosic player, obviously, but he, he reinvented what, what you could do with the guitar. And the fact of the matter is this. It, it, like Hendrix, but even to a greater degree, anybody that tries to play like Eddie Van Halen just sounds like a mime, or a mimic. They, it's like Rich Little doing Johnny Carson. Okay, yeah, that kind of sounds like him, but there's nothing, nobody's ever been able to do what Eddie Van Halen did and make it feel a certain way. You know what I mean? Eddie's just a, and he was that way at 22. I mean, this is, this is not a guy like, it's not like David Blaine's magic tricks where he gets bigger and better every year. He started with card tricks that other people did first. Eddie Van Halen hit the ground running with Van Halen 1, playing an instrument that had been around for centuries unlike anybody else had ever done. I mean, he was on the Mount Rushmore of great guitar players at 22 years old. And then and then he stuck around for another 40 years still playing unlike anybody before or since. So I just think that in terms of, you know, sheer, unique mindset and ambition combined with just great talent obviously but but also a phenomenal work ethic i mean he's just a complete unicorn in every sense of the word how would you describe his guitar sound and i say that i, I know what i think of it but i wasn't i just missed van halen like i came around right as you guys were blowing up honestly so mm-hmm. that for me the van halen was slightly classic rock, slightly old rock to me as a 90s kid. So yeah. as someone, because you're just a few years older than I am, but how would you describe his guitar sound as someone who was in it and living it and loving Van Halen? Well, I can tell you this. I was 13 years old the first time I heard Van Halen. And I remember it. I remember where I was. I remember who I was with. It was going home from school in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. You really got me. Their kinks, the, you know, the, their cover of the kinks song came on the radio. And 
and I, it was playing already. And I said, hey, mom, turn that up. It was me and my mom and my friend Brooke Lawson, the three of us in a car. And she turned it up. And I, my first thought was, that must be like a live version of the Kink song. And I was thinking, like, they don't, they don't rock that hard, do they? But when it hit that solo, and then by the time the song ended, I realized, well, that does, that's not Ray Davies singing. This is clearly a cover version. But what on earth is this? And it was like making my the hair on the back of my neck stand up. This was at a time when I thought punk rock was the coolest thing in the world. And the truth is, Van Halen was more punk than the punks because they were truly breaking down a bunch of uh, barriers, if you will, or they were going in their own sort of way. You know, it, there hadn't been a band like Van Halen since Led Zeppelin in terms of rock band hits the ground running at full steam and it obliterates everything in their path in a certain sense. And to me, Van Halen just sound, it sounded like what California was in my head. You know, as soon as I realized, as soon as I heard about them, they're from LA. And as soon as I saw David Lee Roth, and then as soon as I heard more than, you know, the next thing I heard was uh, Eruption, you know, the guitar solo. And, you know, uh, hearing just two pieces of their first album and seeing what they look like, it just, it felt brand new and it already felt like they're going to be around forever. You just knew from the jump, and this is me as a 13-year-old kid who is obsessed with music, this band is one of the all-timers. Like, there's nothing like this. And they all have the chops. And the other thing, too, as long as I'm just rambling incessantly, Eddie Van Halen was a great rhythm player. It wasn't just about the solos. He led the band rhythmically. And he's also, it needs to be noted, uh, not that it's not obvious, he's a hell of a songwriter. I mean, he really was, uh, as I said before, he's a true unicorn. I mean, just just nothing like it. What, what does it sound like to you? Uh, it sounds frequent and right in like right in the zone, you know, when you're, when you're playing something that you're in the same key, that's one thing. Cause I, listen, I play a little bit. I don't play even as good as my friends who are real life musicians, but it's f- perfect frequency and, and not frequency as in the, the tone or the, but as much, cause it's a lot. I mean, Brad Paisley plays. I know it's Brad Paisley because I hear the chicken picking. I hear I, he has yeah. a very distinct sound. And again, I didn't catch Van Halen as it was kind of happening in my childhood. But when I hear a Van Halen song, even if I, it's, I don't know who it is, if I just hear the guitar part, I hear the Eddie Van Halen because I, how fast he shreds, but the pattern that he does it, you can just tell by, 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 by his fingers. And it's, it's kind of, again, it's hard to explain when you ask about music, but that's what I think about. And, it, and I try to always try to, um, prepare analogies. And most of the people that listen to this podcast here are between 22 to 40. And if you were to make an analogy to another band, it's going to be tough because, listen, Van Halen was massive, but who later on had the kind of um, impact or reflected the, the mass listening that Van Halen had? Well, in ter- you mean what bands? Just what, yeah, what band could we look at? now or in the last 10 years and see, okay, well, that's how well, big Van Halen was to the people that were the, the kids in the 80s. Well, Van Halen hit in the late 70s. 10 years later, you had Guns N' Roses. Six years after that, you had Nirvana and Pearl Jam. As far as what it is in the 2000s, honestly, I wouldn't know. I, 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 haven't, I haven't seen any young bands that, to me, have, have, have broken new ground or gone anywhere with playing. The other thing about Eddie Van Halen you got to recognize is 
you know, that's the that's the beginning of the end of music being played with human hands on wooden instruments. I mean, as a general rule, there's still great rock and roll music being made today. But for the last 20, 30 years, electronic music has, has lived side by side. Um, gen, you know, computer generated uh, beat driven music has lived side by side with rock and roll and in fact overtaken it. So when Eddie Van Halen broke through, that was still just what everybody did. They played instruments. And he's the guy who showed up, you know, what is it? The Malcolm Gladwell says you need 10,000 hours to be great at something. He showed up like at 100,000 hours. And, and there hasn't been a musician in the world of rock music in the last 25, 30. I can't think of a single person, you say, set the entire genre on its ear. I mean, Eddie Van Halen literally did that. He, he obliterated what it meant to be a great guitar player for a few years. It really set off the equilibrium of the music industry. I mean, he's a, he's a, he was a genuine earthquake, much the same way 10 years earlier Jimi Hendrix had been. And that's the only two that come to mind that you can say had that kind of impact. I heard somebody else today say that, you know, the two greatest, most significant pieces of technology in the second half of the 20th century were the electric guitar and the television. And as soon as the jump video hit hit the airwaves, all of a sudden Eddie Van Halen was in control of both. You know, when you take a guy like that and put him on MTV in those videos, man, forget it. There was just nobody that could that could touch him and come close. And listen, I'm a drummer, and and you mentioned Brad Paisley. Ask Brad Paisley what Eddie Van Halen meant. A lot of the great country players of today, Keith Urban and all sorts of players, they grew up listening to Van Halen records. You know, there's. There's not as big a landscape for a guy to play a guitar and get a paycheck in, in, in the world of rock music as there is in country music. And there's a lot of a lot of guys who are making a lot of money playing guitar in country music right now grew up listening to rock records first. And and of all those guys, Eddie was always he was always the guy. He's always been the gold standard. Did you ever have a chance to meet Eddie or any of the guys in Van Halen? Uh, I met David Lee Roth several times, uh, but he's the only the the. Pete Angelus, who managed the Black Crows, he started with Van Halen as their creative director from before they had a record deal. He was he directed all their videos. He designed all their lights. He played a big part in their stage persona. He was, creatively speaking, very much uh, a member of that organization. And and in the David Lee Roth era, you know, was was thought of by a lot of people as the fifth member of Van Halen. So I know an awful lot about that story. Through Pete, I met Dave in the early '90s several times, but I know I, I know a lot of people who've worked with Van Halen over the years. I mean, I've heard enough stories and hear enough things to have a fairly consistent sense of of Eddie's work ethic uh, and, and of all the things that motivated him and drove him to be what he was. You know, the Black Crows were, and I've told you this to your face as well. Black Crows to me were instrumental in my just music upbringing and mm-hmm. you know it was the the bands that you mentioned which were the grunge bands but the black crows felt a little bit like it was like dirty rock in the, the south a little bit it was kind of a bit of what it felt like to me as you're trying to describe music it's tough but that's what the black crows felt like around that same time where i was like man i kind of actually identify with this rock music a little more and then mm-hmm. You know, as you grow up and you start to look back and listen to the music and you put out a book, I got it. And I, and I was looking through the book when you put it out. How much crap did you get into for sharing some of those stories with the, about those guys? Uh, none. Who's going to mess with me? Did they, anyone reach out to you privately and go like, 
Come on, dude. Why you got to be a douche? No. Oh, no. There's only two people that would probably be offended with anything I wrote. The problem with my book is that it's all true. So if anybody's going to say anything to me, especially the two, the two people that you're referring to, my former partners, the Brothers Robinson, they've spent their lives uh, spitting out as much as they could and as loud as they could. That we're, we're honest. We're honest. We're honest. So it's kind of hard to build a, you know, a, a reputation on. I, I call it like I see it. And then when somebody does the same thing, you have a problem with it. So I've not heard a word from either one, and I can't imagine I ever will. The book, you got to check it out. It's called Hard to Handle, The Life and Death of the Black Crows. It's a memoir. It came out May of this year. So it came out during the pandemic. Well, which the, the, paper, the paperback came out in May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, it's been out for over a year in hardback. The pa- the pa- but you, can, you couldn't like do a new book tour on it. When I did my, paper, you know, my books, paperback was like a whole new level because it was distributed. It was a little cheaper to distribute, so they put more out. You got to do press again, but because of the pandemic, I felt like you kind of missed out on that. Did you feel that way? Well, I got no. I, did, I mean, I did it. I had a decent run. I mean, from September through, I guess the last event I did was in February. So you know, I, I mean, I did a around twenty book events. It certainly would have been the problem for me, as it turned out. I say it's a problem. Uh, I had just started my new radio show at the same right around the same time, and it wasn't as easy for me to just jump and hit the circuit right away, you know, just come flying out of the gate. So uh, it wasn't as coordinated as, as it could have been, I guess. But, you know, the, the book has legs, like any book. For people that care about the band, it's always going to be there. And, uh, you know, that's it. Is it weird to, to every night travel, play, be super close with folks when you absolutely cannot stand them? No. You learn how to compartmentalize that, compartmentalize that stuff really early, you know, actually, looking back. I mean... And, and, but but it didn't start where we couldn't stand each other. The band started thick as thieves. You know what I mean? It was like we were kids who agreed on a dream and we put everything we had behind it. And it takes years before anyone's willing to stick their head up out of the sand and go, hey, I think I'm kind of miserable or I think I don't trust you anymore. It, it's a long, long time before, at least it wasn't in the case of the Black Crows, before we all felt comfortable saying those things or even admitting them to ourselves is really the first step. Um, you know, there's an awful lot of, there's a lot of love and there's a lot of betrayal and there's a lot of fear and loathing and insecurity and arrogance and all those sort of things just on kind of hyperdrive in a band like ours. And so uh, by the time you were able to admit to yourself, this isn't what I was hoping for. You figured out how to play in just about any circumstance in any situation and if the band's still good, then you tell yourself, well, hey, man, you know, look at what we just did on stage for two and a half hours. It's worth it. You know, whatever else is going on, it's worth it to be in a band like this. Do you guys have any bands that you hated, like that you saw playing? And not because they, they weren't good, but because just as people, you were like, they're not for us and we don't want to be friends with them. Yeah. Oh, well, well, my band was the worst at having a long list of bands we didn't get along with. I mean... I'm a pretty agreeable dude. I get along with just about anybody, but my partners weren't that way. And as a band, our reputation was definitely a bit standoffish. I mean, we either, it's like the, the mindset of the Black Crows was we either love you or we have no time for you. Not necessarily hated you, but, you know, if, the, if we didn't embrace what you did, it was kind of like, yeah, whatever. I mean, um, the, you know, there, there, were, there were some amusing things over the years. I'm trying to think if there was, when, when Shake Your Moneymaker came out, we got lumped in with Slaughter and Skid Row and a lot of bands that we had no regard for. And we did cross paths with those guys sometimes. And we were, 
for better or worse, one of the few bands who would actually look at some other band and go, dude, I don't want to talk to you. I don't like your music. I think you're a clown. Just, just leave. This isn't going to be good for you. You know, we, we, we actually acted like that to other bands in the early days. Um, it was kind of funny to us too. You know, we all grew up watching Bill Murray movies. We were all just trying to be like that guy in stripes, but in a rock band on a certain sense. But then, you know, it, it's weird to open up a magazine and see a band that you can't stand right next to you. And like back in those days, you'd see rock mags and it would be Reader's Poll, our two favorite bands, Warrant and the Black Crows. And we'd be like, what? How are we in a magazine with Warrant? You know, and I look back now and I don't care about Warrant. I wish those guys well. I don't care about any of these bands. But when you're, you know, 22, 23 and you get your first shot at it, man, you take everything a little too seriously. Or at least we did. You know, a lot of my buds who are artists now, and mostly a few years ago before they started to settle down, but people would, girls, would reach out to them uh, through direct message on Instagram. And so then that's how they would link up. That's how they would meet yeah. later. And they would do whatever they do later on. How back in the 90s would you guys meet the chicks that you would hang out with each city? You know, th this is the sad truth about the Black Crows. Um, that was hardly a priority for us as a band. Um, you know, for me, I, I mean, I've been with the same woman since the end of 1990. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 30 years last month in a monogamous relationship. So, but, but, you know, if, if I have to think back to before that, when we were on the road, it was just like it was when you're a local band. You just show up and meet somebody in a town and move on. It wasn't a question of, there was no thought to, uh, I know bands that, that that was sort of the, their raisin day after, you know, like they hit the road and it was just a matter of surrounding themselves with women at all times. The truth is, this, you know, of all the things about the Black Crows that made no sense, one thing that made a lot of sense was we were obsessed with being a great live band. And we got on the bus at the end of the night and everybody was drinking and everybody was smoking weed in the early days before harder drugs moved into the scene. But we were listening to live bootlegs instead of partying in the dressing room with girls. We were literally, we would record our shows and listen back that night and, and talk about where a jam could have gone farther or where we went too far or how do, how do we get the rhythm section to carry this interim section between these two songs. I mean, we were, we were obsessed with that in the earliest days. And I think a lot of bands hit the road and they're already sort of fully formed. We, we were making it up as we went. Like our first album came out, we hit the road in support of it and we'd never played more than four nights in a row in our life. And suddenly we went on tour for 20 months. We had never toured before. We already had a song on the rock charts before we'd ever toured. Wow. So we felt like we had a lot, we had to make up a lot of ground. You know, we were, we were coming from behind from the jump and, you know, and individually, I'm sure members of the band were, doing whatever they could with women. But, but as a band scene, we never had a groupie vibe ever. There was never the word on the street was never the black crows are looking for women. It was always the black crows are looking for drugs. If anything, I got two more things to talk to you about. The first thing is in the heyday when you guys are just knocking them out, uh, who is the most famous fan that came up to you guys? and was like, I'm just such a diehard fan where you're like, Holy crap. That's, that's crazy. Cause you're awesome. Uh, that's a good question. We had a lot of athletes. There was a lot of pro athletes, you know, a lot of dudes, you know, football players and basketball players. Um, as far as like, you know, a movie star or, uh, man, I'm trying to think. I mean, because 
the ones we were most impressed with were just other musicians. Like, the first time we met Malcolm and Angus Young of ACDC, they were like, it's a proper band. You guys are great. We oh, love wow. your record. I mean, that meant more than... That's way bigger in 1991 than Julia Roberts coming up to you, yeah. or David Duchovny from The X-Files. Or I'm just trying to think of people that we crossed. You know, it's nice, but we really were the band that, like, you know, we opened for Robert Plant on our first tour uh, for six weeks, and the first show was at Red Rocks, and he burst into our dressing room to go, Hey, guys, so glad you're here. I love the record. And, I mean, there's no coming. There's nothing better than that. Literally nothing. Like, Robert Plant knows our names. What kind of weird world are we in all of a sudden? So famous person that wasn't in the music would have been a long, you know, way, way back in second place behind those kind of things. Hold on, and, and I want to end on this because we started talking about Eddie Van Halen where, you know, Eddie and his brother were the two constants in Van Halen, the band. Yeah. They, they switched out lead singers, you know, two wildly successful. Um, another, you know, when the guy from Extreme came over, uh, not so much, but I think, you know, that band had kind of aged a bit as well. So I don't know that it was his fault exactly, but... If and, and you can speak on the power of Eddie and his brother and, and, and them being the force of that band, but, but to start it off with this, you know, could the Black Crows have switched lead singers and, and continue to move on? Um, and how hard is that to do? Uh, well, that, well, I mean, yes, the Black Crows could have switched out Chris Robinson at some point and still managed to find career if that's what we were concerned with, maintaining a career yeah, we could have found a singer that could act like a frontman, and we could have brought in outside writers to write songs that were sure to be hits. But every element, everything about how we went about being the Black Crows, none of it was guided by those thoughts. So really, I mean, on paper, yes, of course. In reality, not a chance. I mean, Chris was the engine that drove, that, that motivated, or, you know, he, he led the band for better and oftentimes for worse wherever we were going and his inspiration it was the guiding light and and oftentimes i i would say like i wish he had been inspired somewhere else or by something else it was difficult but it was just the reality of that band i can't imagine how we would have functioned with somebody else because you know it's like the allman brothers they they did very well without Dwayne allman but there was a vacuum that everybody tried to fill they were successful but the essence of what made that band so special was gone forever if 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 that if something had happened to Chris in the '90s, there's no way you can replace that. We could have been a functioning band, certainly, and like I said, we may have been successful, but it would not have been the same thing. And and, and you know, because Chris was the catalyst, he wasn't responsible for. He's not singularly responsible for any of it, but he was. You know, you have to recognize what the catalyst is, and it was him. Dwayne Allman was the catalyst for the Allman Brothers, not Greg Allman. Noel Gallagher is the catalyst in Oasis. Could they have worked without Liam? Sure, but it would have been very different. It wouldn't have been the same, and that's the case in the Black Crows for sure. Well, how about Van Halen? You got, I mean, massive. Well, it's all about Eddie. It's yeah. all about it. I mean, you know, this sucks, but honestly, Led Zeppelin could have worked if Robert Plant had checked out after a couple of records. That's Jimi Hendrix. I mean, Jimi Hendrix. That's Jimmy Page's band. That was his baby. He envisioned that whole thing. When you have a guy like Eddie Van Halen. Uh, you know, David Lee Roth, for the people that don't know or don't remember, from 78 to 80, 88, 89, he was as big a rock star as there was on the planet. Eddie Van Halen really wasn't a rock star. He married a TV star. He did a lot of drugs, but he did drugs and just went to his room and wrote songs. You know, he wasn't a party 
he wasn't partying to be partying. He was just an addict <laughs> at the end of the day who was obsessed with making music and doing it his own way. And he was the guy, you know, it, it speaks to what we said at the beginning, like just what a complete unicorn he was that the band that, that you know, that you could have David Lee Roth as your front man. And still people went to see Van Halen and he would do a 10 or 11 minute guitar solo on stage alone. Do you know how long 10 minutes is? No one went to the bathroom. That's what everybody was there for. And he's just the, just the total, no rules that any other band ever had to operate under apply to Van Halen, and that's because of Eddie Van Halen. There he is, Steve Gorman. You can check out the book, Hard to Handle, The Life and Death of the Black Crows and Memoir, which paperback came out in 2020. You can also follow him on Instagram, at Steve underscore Gorman underscore. You had to get both those underscores in there? I got both of them, man. I got late to the Instagram game. All the Steve Gorman versions were taken. And then uh, Trigger Hippie. He plays drums in Trigger Hippie, so uh, check that. What's Trigger Hippie up to? Well, I mean, like everybody else, we're just waiting. Uh, you know, we put a record out last fall, Full Circle and then some, and we were out touring. I mean, again, we were on the road September to March pretty consistently. And uh, I think our last gig was March 7th. And then like everybody else now, we're just on the sidelines waiting for somebody to wave a green flag. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time. I appreciate you talking about uh, Eddie Van Halen and how much he meant to you and rock music and then catching up on the Black Crows. Hope you have a good day, man. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you, brother. Take care. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Bobby and Eddie's Music School is now in session. Up in the morning and out to school. 
All right, Eddie is here with me. Eddie, what are you going to teach us today? All right, so you know Chicken Fried by Zach Brown Band, right? I do. To me, this is the song that Zach Brown Band is known for. This kicked off their huge career. It's their song. But at one time, it almost wasn't. So it was written by Zach and someone else, but and they recorded it as a band in 2006. But then they stopped it. They said, hey, radio, pull this, because there's interest from someone else. Alan Jackson is thinking about recording this and putting this out. Wow. So they put a hold on it. They said, all right, stop it. Alan sat on it for a little bit and then said, guys, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not feeling it. And do you want to know the reason why? Yeah. He said, recently, I had songs like about cornbread and chicken. I had a bologna in one of my songs. And it just food is happening right now. A lot of my albums, I'm going to stay away from chicken fried. I don't want to be known as the food guy. So he turned it down. Zach Brown Band said, okay, fine, we'll keep it. And now this is their jam, of course. Wow. Pretty interesting, huh? Yeah, that is pretty cool. Wow. I can't think of the Zach Brown Band with bologna in it. I know. You corn- mean the Alan Jackson with bologna? Uh, yeah, the Alan Jackson song. Hmm. I know the the cornbread. Cornbread and chicken. Yeah. Where I come from. Yeah. But where's the bologna song? Mike, will you Google Alan Jackson? Oh, okay. oh, I still like bologna. I, I don't even know that, that song. <laughs> Must be an album cut. Alan, we don't know that song. You could have gone with Chicken Fried, dude. Was that a single? Yeah, there's a music video for it. Really? Mm-hmm. Dang, I don't know that song. Yeah, I don't either. But but you know what Ray, I Ray, do we have I Still Like Bologna in the system? I'll look. You know what I thought, too, is, is really things that we don't care about. Like if, if Alan would have put out Chicken Fried and he had Cornbread and Chicken and the bologna song, I don't think... We would care too much. We wouldn't even probably think about calling him the food guy. But in his mind, it's a brand. And he's like, I can't be known as the food guy, especially fried chicken. There's satellite communication. I know this song. Long, Long distance. distance. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I just didn't know it was called yeah. that. It's like, I still like bologna oh, on white bread. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know it's all well and good, and I don't embrace it. Like I should, but I wouldn't want to go backwards even if I could. Here we go. Here's the chorus. But I still like bologna on white bread. Man, that's me. Bologna on white bread with mustard. Love it. Not the best for me health wise. (laughs) No. But love it, man. But Alan Jackson did say, in retrospect, I should have recorded that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, How about this? My version of music school, I want to talk about Chris Stapleton's number one songs as a songwriter. So he only has one number one as a singer artist, which is Broken Halos, okay. which hit 2001, uh, number one in 2018. Millionaire was only at number two. Wow, I didn't know that. But that's his only radio number one, Broken Halos. His album's been number one forever. It was number one in a lot of weeks. But he's had several number ones as just a songwriter, more than as being an artist. Yeah. So I thought we'd look at his country number ones. Josh Turner, your man. Just to be your man. That video, and Chris came in before it, he was a big deal. We used yeah. to have him on the show a lot. And he played this because he was songwriter Chris Stapleton. It's got millions of views on our YouTube channel. Chris Stapleton doing your man. Yeah. And yeah. it was very different than Josh Turner's version because Chris sings higher. And obviously. angrier. And angrier, right. So, yeah, there you go. That was a number one for Josh Turner. Another one is Thomas Rhett, Crash and Burn. And if I'm not mistaken, Bones, I think he's singing in the background of the song. 
He said Oh, yeah, that. him right there. Yeah, doing background vocals. And I, I, again, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's doing the who, ha. Yeah, we asked him that. <laughs> I was like, hey, is that the Chain Gang song? And he was like, no, that's me. Because you, do you know Chain Gang song? Yeah. He goes, that on the Chain Gang. He goes, that's the sound of the men ah, working, working on the chain. Ah. Gang. Ah. Oh, don't you yeah, know? Yeah, dude. Never Wanted Nothing More by Kenny Chesney. Never Wanted Nothing More. No, never Wanted Nothing More. Released in 2007. Wow. He wrote that. Didn't know that. He wrote Comeback Song by Darius Rucker. Cause I didn't know. Dude, this is such a jam. Stapleton has written two songs with Darius over the years. This one got him a number one spot on the charts, which is pretty cool. I wonder if Chris ever plays these songs live. Probably not now. I bet he did early when yeah. he was a songwriter that didn't have a bunch of hits. I'd love now to people want to hear his songs. For sure, yes. But I would love to hear him sing this one. The best thing that I had going by Brad Paisley. This is way back in the day. So number one as, one number one as an artist, but five, one, two, three, four, five as a songwriter. So six total. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? That's awesome. He's, he's got new music. I think he's got two songs out right now. He has the one that we play, but then he has another one called Cold. Yeah, the one we play is really good. I, I like it. What was that? Start again? Begin again? What's that? Starting, Starting over? over? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody loves Chris Stapleton. Yep. There's one thing we can agree on in this country. We all love Everybody loves Chris, Chris Stapleton. Stapleton. <laughs> Eddie, tell me about your podcast. The Sore Losers Podcast. Me, Lunchbox, and Raymundo, and we talk sports, guy stuff. <sighs> we get on each other's nerves, but then we make each other laugh. So it's a good podcast. Yeah, check it out if you like sports or idiots. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Check out the Sore Losers podcast. All right, thank you very much. Cassie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm real good. I was looking at your Instagram the other day, which just fascinated with the, the clothes that you make. That's a whole side topic. But uh, and, and you, you had a motorcycle with you, and you were like, man, this is such a natural uh, endorsement for me to have or the record label to have. And then I saw you put a, out a song that was – you know, basically in that same vein, which is uh, Black Motorcycle, which came out on Wednesday. So yes. I guess you grew up with motorcycles? Yes, I did. I My dad had one or two my entire life, and he would always pick me up from my mom's house on one. And I grew up on dirt bikes. Like, we had trails throughout our whole farm. So that was just, you couldn't keep me off of them. So you like to drive them or ride on them? Um, Both. <laughs> Now, now that I'm old enough and I have my license, I definitely drive, and I drove dirt bikes, but growing up, I was on dad the entire childhood. Did they give you a free Harley for this? Um, no. <laughs> no. No, but I'll call my That would make my entire life that happen. Yeah. Well, I love that you put the song out on a Wednesday, too. Is there a theory for you behind putting out music on a Wednesday instead of the standard, put it out on a Friday? I wanted to kind of avoid the crowd of a Friday because I know as just a music fan, when Friday rolls around, like, I'm trying to get through all the music that I want to get to, and, you know, our lives are fast-paced, we're all busy, and it's really hard to do that, so I thought, I'd really love if my favorite artist came out with their new song on a Wednesday so that I had time to digest it before everything else hit, so I thought, why not do that myself? This song, was it already a song that existed before you got Harley to be a part of it? Yes, I wrote this song like three years ago. <laughs> huh, and so 
you had it. Did you pitch them? Hey, we may put this out if you guys want to be a part of it, or we're putting it out. Would you guys like to be a part of it? Well, we we honestly thought about just putting it out, and then last year Harley came to my CMA Fest performance, and we started in on conversations. They knew how big of a Harley fan I was. They got to meet my dad. I got to go up to the museum and tour, and then it was all, it was like a no-brainer. of Let's put the song out and announce the partnership. I was looking at your, your TikTok. You got a TikTok that has 3.2 million views, like one of yours is. It's one of your friends acting out a scene from Harry Potter. Yes. You, first of all, hey, that's awesome to get 3 million views on a TikTok. <laughs> uh, we did one at the house last week, and it's got 2.4 million right now. And I was looking uh, at it before I came over, and I was like, holy crap. And then I looked at yours, and I was like, oh, man, Cassie crushed us. But... Were you guys on a train when you did this? Yes, we were on a train in Germany, and we didn't think, oh, let's make a TikTok. We didn't anything. That was just my guitar, James. My guitar player, James, just sang himself, and I happened to record it. And then when I was told, like, hey, you got to put this in TikTok, start making TikToks, that was the perfect one. And, of course, it got, like, 3 million views in, like, a couple of days, I think. And I was like, oh, all I had to do was record my guitar player being himself. This was secret all along. I watched your tutorial on how to customize your iPhone with the new operating system. Yours yeah. looks obviously because it's you, super cool and artsy. Did I see that you helped Marin Morris do that on her phone too? Yeah, I did. She texted me and I, that was the first tutorial I made was the one I sent her, which was like not as in-depth as the one I posted. And she's like, thank you so much. And so she said, you should show other people this, so I made a full tutorial and posted it. And it was crazy because people were coming to me, coming to me with, like, other tech questions, and I was like, listen, I have no <laughs> idea. I'm just good at customization in anything in life, and other than that, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so you, just an all-around artist, if it's music or fashion or even customizing your iPhone, when did this start for you whenever you had the itch to be creative? Oh, as soon as I was old enough to realize that you can be. I think I didn't decide one day that I was going to be creative. I just was made that way. My mom would let me pick my clothes out literally in kindergarten and I would put dress-up clothes together and I would watch her sew and she sang so I sang and it just kind of came together and I think as I got older I learned that the best most rewarding thing to me is to see something in my on, in my brain and then, you know, bring it to fruition myself. That's like the most, it makes me happier than anything in the world. So I learned every material you can do that with, basically. I saw you building things at your house too. How many DIY projects, big ones, do you think you've done this year? Oh, <laughs> a lot. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, oh, I don't know. I did my whole kitchen. I did my master bathroom. I did my backyard. I did so many outfits, probably like 30 outfits. I had to stop because that much fabric is really expensive, and I had nowhere to wear them, so what was the point? I, I have to be creative every day. That was the secret to 2020, not losing my mind. You talk about your clothes. I brought it up, too. What percentage of your clothes do you make versus what you buy? I would say when it comes to, like, performances and, like, appearances that I do, I would say I 75% of what I wear I made. Wow. Yeah. You ever gift someone an outfit? Like, a, hey, I made this for you? Very rarely. I made Marin Morris, that we mentioned her. I made her a coat 
for like a very fancy silk brocade robe for like when she asked me to be on her tour. I made that for her. The sleeves were fur lined. And I have made my manager a set of luxurious velvet pajamas, and that's it. Is that something that you would like to do? Because, you know, people have side deals, where side hustles, and like Rihanna designs clothes. Or yeah. is, this, is this just a you thing right now? For now, it's a me thing, but it's funny that you bring up Rihanna because that's like when people are like, what do you want to do with clothes eventually? That is a great example. Like music will always lead the way, will always be the forefront. It's what I love the most, but I would love to have a line one day. Love. Cassie Ashton on with us. Black Motorcycle came out on Wednesday. <laughs> she got so many good songs. I'm just a, such a big fan of, of her entire body of work. And Thank you. you. Just, just love what you're doing. Keep it up. And uh, thanks for spending a few minutes with me. And I hope you have a good rest of the week. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye, Cassie. Bye. Hey, hey. It's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.